say I'm crazy Ladies and gentlemen, it's two minutes past the hour of six o'clock. Good evening. I started to say good morning. I don't know where I am or what I'm doing, but this is the Mark Riley Show. I'm Mark Riley, and I'm glad you are with us this evening. Now, this is going to be uh, a, a kind of different thing for me because uh, I don't often find myself in the position of having to unload on our president of the United States. But uh, this is one of those times, man. I can't uh, can't say I agree with somebody when I don't agree with somebody. And I don't agree with him about this whole Trans-Pacific Partnership thing. Now, let me not be silly here. Um, I don't know what's in the TPP. I don't know. Uh, apparently, for a long time, neither did members of Congress know what was in the TPP. The public generally does not know. They've kept it confidential. They've kept it semi-classified. That's my problem. And when it comes down to this little spat between Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren, I'm on Elizabeth Warren's side. You sure you don't want to want to run for president? Well, never mind. We'll leave that alone for now. Uh, here's the thing. Barack Obama's major criticism of Elizabeth Warren, and I want to make sure I uh, get the quote right here, uh, Something about she's just a politician like the rest of us or something along those lines. Well, hey, it was Barack Obama that did, or in this case, did not do something that made Elizabeth Warren a politician. You may remember that Elizabeth Warren was supposed to be the first head of the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Board. You remember that? And then Barack Obama turned around and chose somebody else because the bankers really didn't like Elizabeth Warren that much. Oh, here it is. The truth of the matter is that Elizabeth is, you know, a politician like everybody else. Well, you made her that way, Mr. President. If you would put her on the CF uh, Consumer Financial Protection Board like you should have done, maybe she wouldn't be a politician now. Or maybe she'd just be getting ready to run for office after having what I would consider to be a very successful tenure as head of this uh, CF. PB, which, by the way, the Republicans are still trying to kill. But back to this TPP business. And I want people to be very clear because I think sometimes uh, my colleagues in the media have a tendency to kind of muddy this stuff. So I want to be clear about this. What they voted on yesterday, which was a victory for people, make no mistake, a victory for people who oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What they voted on was whether or not to so-called fast-track it. In other words, get it to the Senate floor without any amendments being added. And, you know, Senate loves, House and Senate love amendments. They love to tack little things on. Well, 
this wouldn't have allowed them to do so if they had fast-tracked it. And I think the president went out on a very long political limb here and then watched as many of his own party, not just Elizabeth Warren, Harry Reid opposed this thing, for goodness sake, and they, they sawed the log off with the limb off with Obama on the end of it. Not great form, but beyond great form, all right? Because that's I'm getting into the politics of the situation now. And this isn't really just about politics. It's about the president of the United States trying to pass a secret deal. That's what it's about. And, you know, I know some people, a lot of progressives have turned on him anyway, saying he's just a Republican light. I got my, my younger brother, dogs Obama at every turn. I'm not as critical. But on this, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Elizabeth Warren said, quote, the president won't actually let people read the agreement for themselves. It's classified. Now, uh, what's interesting to me about this is not just whether or not it's a spat between Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren. That's, you know, the, the, the beltway punditocracy and many uh, media types making it real simple for people. Well, it's Warren versus Obama. It's a fight between uh, two titans of the left, however you want to describe it. And I, I think only an arch conservative would say it was two, two titans on the left. Elizabeth Warren may be on the left. Barack Obama, in some of his more recent moves, not just this, has shown himself to be a little less than left for those of us who are left, and I consider myself to be so. Now, he's decided he's, you know, going to try and fight this. And make no mistake, this battle is not over yet. They'll get it back, and they'll try and get it through. And maybe they won't do it, you know, with the fast-track authority that they wanted. But there's some very real questions about this thing, about whether or not, and I've been hearing this for a long time. And, again, I'm no expert. I'm just your humble servant here. But there are questions about whether or not the rights of labor will be totally abrogated, which, of course, Republicans could care less about, uh, whether or not uh, people could find that regulations, uh, industrial, corporate regulations, could be subject to lawsuit, those sorts of things. And to say to uh, the American people at this point in our development, in our collective lives, that, you know, well, don't worry about that stuff. Just trust me. It's going to be all right. It's a benefit. Because Obama said it's a benefit to workers. So who are we supposed to believe on this? Again, you don't have to be an expert party, people. You really don't. All you need to know is you need to know. <laughs> That's what you need. I need to know. He needs to be forthcoming. And the fact that he's not mitigates against this being this whole beneficial bill for everybody. Because if it was, he'd have pulled the sheets off it a long time ago and showed people how it was so beneficial to everybody. And he hasn't done that. And he doesn't get a pass. Barack Obama doesn't get a pass on this. You know, you talk about transparency, you talk about this and that. Well, then do it. Lead by example, yo. <laughs> What are, you, what are you trying to do to me here? And, and again, I have said from this time I started this show, 
I said this when I was still doing terrestrial radio. When I disagree with Barack Obama about something, I disagree. I'm not scared to say, yo, you're wrong. And I've said it more than once. The problem here, ladies and gentlemen, is that this could fundamentally alter, unless I'm reading it wrong, this could fundamentally alter not just American business, American corporations, which would get passes and, and the ability to end around certain regulations they don't like anyway. But it could fundamentally alter the job situation here. And I, I can't forget, does Barack Obama really want to end his presidency by getting a bill through Congress that's going to cost Americans jobs if that's what is going to happen? Now, he says it's not. But he hasn't shown his, shown his hand. So that, to me, mitigates against believing what he says, right? You know, it's, it's like, who's got, who, never mind, who's got the red, who's got the black? You all know three-card Monty. And <clears throat> I'm not saying Barack Obama's a three-card Monty dealer, but there's, some, there's a reason why this stuff is classified. And whether it's Elizabeth Warren or Harry Reid or anybody else, I'm standing with those who say, you want this thing? then show us what it is. Show the public what it is. On a tragic note, I understand now there are seven people dead at last count in that tragic crash of an Amtrak train just outside Philadelphia. They are now, the media anyway, I can't say they, the media is now piling on because there's an initial... Uh, National Transportation Safety Board, uh, uh, I guess, finding that the engineer was a problem, that he was doing, uh, he was too fast. He was running too fast. He was doing apparently 106 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour, around a 50 mile an hour curve. Now, I know that that may all be true. I don't know. I mean, it's a preliminary finding. It may all be true. However, anyone who has ever traveled to Europe, as one example, has seen trains that can do 125, 130 miles an hour around a similar curve. And the limit here was 60. Why was the limit 60? I'm sorry, 50. The limit was 50 miles an hour. In the 21st century, it is absurd to have a 50-mile-an-hour limit around a curve. Our infrastructure should allow our trains to negotiate that curve at the speed that train was traveling, at 100 miles an hour. The technology exists, but we don't use it. And that's not to trivialize the loss of life here. And it's not to mitigate the responsibility of the engineer. He probably should have been going at 50. But the larger question here is a question that other people are asking. I'm not the only one that's asking this, but the first thing I thought of when I realized that this was Amtrak train number 188, which I have ridden on from D.C. to New York. And what I realize is, because this was not in the cellar, 
I don't know if the shuttles are allowed to go any faster around that same curve because they run the same track. But this was not in the cell. It was a northeast quarter. You know, they got rid of the Metroliner and some of the other things. Those are all vestiges of the past now. This was an Amtrak northeast corridor train. It's all reserved now, too, by the way, those trains. Uh, <clears throat> it's literally impossible to get a train without a reservation. But that's another discussion for another day. The fact of the matter is that this may be a function of infrastructure or lack thereof. It may be a function of Congress cutting Amtrak's funding to the bone. Do you know they just cut $260 million from Amtrak's budget? Well, we have to get under the cap. At what cost, legislators? At the cost of human life? Is that what this is supposed to be about? It's going to be interesting to see in the days and weeks ahead what goes on here, whether or not we see any serious discussion about American infrastructure. You know, we, we really, and I have to be honest about this, we have not seen such a serious discussion in a very long time. My guess is that this accident alone, this tragedy alone, will end up focusing on the speeding of the engineer. So he was shouldn't have been traveling at that speed. You know, some people may say bring criminal charges. I know it's not going to cause the Congress to fund Amtrak at any higher level than they currently are, and it's not may not stop them from cutting the funding by $260 million. Uh, but it is something to something to ask, something to talk about. Because I think that there is an infrastructure problem. It's not just in the curb outside Philly. It's the entire, certainly the entire New York, uh, Boston to Washington corridor. There should be better than this. Really should. And I don't understand why there isn't. It is a shame, a crying shame. And again, uh, prayers to the families of the victims. Now seven. I think they've got like 50 some odd uh, all together in the hospital as well. It's quarter after six. This is the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. I'm glad you're with us on this Wednesday evening. And uh, for those of you who uh, follow politics in New York State, I wonder how it feels. I, I, I know how it feels to me for somebody who's covered politics. To be the butt of late night talk show jokes. And certainly what's been happening up in Albany with two out of the three men in a room that normally determine how the state is run now under an ethical cloud and in fact indicted both Sheldon Silver and Dean Skellos. And, De and just like Dean Skellos, or just like Sheldon Silver, I should say, his party rallied around him for about 24, 48 hours. Next thing you know, bam, one by one they peeled off, and next thing you know, Skelos is gone as majority leader. But he got to pick his successor. So joining us to discuss this and a whole lot more is our good friend, the Albany Bureau Chief of the New York Daily News. He is Mr. Ken Lovett. Ken, how you doing? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, do are people in Albany aware? I guess you all must be aware of how circus-like this whole corruption thing looks. Uh, not just down to New York, but across the country. Well, you know, it's funny because last year when uh, Governor Cuomo ran for re-election, one of his big messages was, you know, we passed all this ethics reform and and we're no longer the butt of uh, late night jokes. And uh, I don't know if you saw, I think it was last week, the uh, Daily Show, John Stewart, oh, it. <laughs> really just did a devastating takedown of both uh, New York and New Jersey, saying that they're partners in corruption. And uh, it really was, um, you know, I guess we're back to the old days where we are the butt of the late night jokes. And then rightfully so, you know, to, you know what, what, what an odd year to have both the Speaker of the Assembly and the uh, Senate Majority Leader both to be taken down and uh, ar- arrested uh, on uh, corruption charges, unrelated corruption charges. It's just stunning. Ken, how serious was Dean Skelos at the very beginning after his arrest? when he said he was going to stay on as Senate Majority, was that just... Uh, uh, no, well, he was serious. No, he was serious. Well, you would have thought all he had to do was, you know, look back a couple of weeks, a couple of months, when uh, Sheldon Silver and the Assembly was uh, charged. And, you know, Silver's people, even the day the charges came out, you know, a number of them held a, a you know, they met with the press and unified and said, we're standing behind them and, you know, Slowly, or not so slowly, actually, the support began to erode, and yet Silver tried to hang on to power, tried to cling to power. And uh, ultimately, uh, Silver's members met and decided, you know what, he's got to go, and they delivered the message, and Silver went. So you would have thought Dean Skelos, you know, didn't have to look too far to see what uh, history had to say about this. But instead, same thing happened. You know, his members said, uh, you know, we're behind him, and he could stay on, and slowly but surely, and, and very and actually quickly again, you know, it began to erode, and uh, yet he still tried to cling to power, even threatened to cost them the majority. At one point, through his uh, surrogacy, he basically put out a message that if they try to get rid of me, I'll quit the Senate, and there won't be enough votes for the Republicans to... Uh, to maintain control of the uh, chamber without some kind of uh, power-sharing agreement with a Democratic, a democratic group. Um, it was really stunning. And, and, and then finally, uh, as, as the writing was on the wall, and I guess he became calmer, he said, well, you know, I may consider going, he said this over the weekend to people, I may consider going, but only if uh, John Flanagan, the Suffolk County, a fellow Long Islander, fellow Republican, was put in charge, and that, in the end, is what happened. But now, Ken, um, first of all, uh, what does this say, not just about, you know, the Republican caucus in the Senate, but the Democratic caucus in the Assembly, that they could both stand behind both Silver and Skelos and then just as quickly turn on them? What does it say about them? Well, I mean, it says... uh... I'm not sure, you know, it says about the institution that at first they rally around each other. You know, the, the, the overriding message to me was, you know, you had a, an assembly speaker and a, and a Senate majority leader who talked about the importance of protecting the institution, but when they had a chance, when, when they were hurting the institution, rather than step aside, what they did was try to cling to power in any way possible. 
And uh, ultimately, you know, both decided uh, it was untenable when their members told them it was untenable. Look, for the Senate Republicans, what they were hoping to do was get by a few more weeks with Skelos. They, it would, you know, they wanted to finish up the legislative session, which ends next month, and then move on. There was no way, regardless of what happens, there was no way Skelos was going to be there long term. They were not going to go into next year's elections where the control of the chamber is going to be uh, decided, and it is close. And, you know, being a Democratic year, given that a uh, Democratic state, it's a presidential election, which brings out a lot of Democrats. They could not go in with the liability of, a, of an indicted, although he's not indicted yet, uh, of a criminally charged leader at the top of the ticket, particularly also because the deputy GOP leader is also under indictment. So, Tom Libis. So yeah. they were hoping that if you know that he would stay in charge, and, and he told them, "I'd like to stay through the end of session," and then he would kind of bow out. Um, but there was a lot of pressure from the media, from their constituents, from the county chairs, uh, the county Republican chairs, that this guy has got to go. You're doing damage here, and you're damaging yourselves, and you're damaging your chances next year. You know, one of the surprising moves that we saw at one point last week was when it became clear he was shedding support, Skelos, at 11 o'clock at night one night, put out a statement, his office put out a statement uh, that said, you know, here are the members that are supporting him. And it was 16 members that were supporting him. But rather than, that's not a good thing, because basically you had half the conference that was not supporting him. And, and not only did it show that half the conference wasn't supporting him, but it gave the Democrats a bullseye to put on the backs of the 16 that were supporting us. <laughs> these are the guys who are supporting a criminally charged speaker. So it was really a, it was a move that stunned a lot of people. You know, if it was one thing, if he had 27 people out of 33 that said we're backing him. But it was 16, and including himself, 17 out of 33 that were backing him. The bare minimum. Ken Lovett is our guest. He's the Albany Bureau Chief of the New York Daily News. Ken, uh, does anyone up there find it ironic that uh, even with all this going on, Skelos got to choose his, uh, his successor? You know, yeah. I mean, obviously it's been mentioned, and, and really the reality was it came down to John Flanagan of Suffolk County, who's very close to Skelos, and John DeFrancisco, a Syracuse, you know, upstate Republican who was chair of the Finance Committee. And, and as one Republican said to me, if it was a straight-up or down vote, DeFrancisco uh, De would have won it. Uh, the problem was that because the chamber is so evenly divided, that they needed Skello's vote to replace him. Skello's had to vote for his own replacement because, unlike with Shelley Silver, where the Democrats, you know, the, there's so many Democrats, you know, one vote or two votes doesn't matter. But here, mm -hmm. if Dean Skello's did not vote for his successor, there wouldn't have been enough votes to put anyone in, the, in his place. So. Some people who might have wanted to vote for DeFrancisco recognize that, but knowing that they needed stability, knowing that Skelos had to go, uh, they agreed to back Flanagan. Now, Ken, um, we've seen all this go on, including Silver and uh, Libus and, and, of course, uh, Dean Skelos. Does that make any efforts at ethics reform kind of seem like a sham at this point. I, it, it, it strikes me that asking legislators who are the people who are most susceptible to corruption, the people who are getting in the most trouble for corruption, 
asking them to draft corruption legislation is kind of like asking the fox to guard the hen house, no? Well, that's been part of the problem, that it's been self-policing and self-legislation uh, you know, that the legislature had to agree with on ethics reform, which is why now you have a crusading U.S. attorney who's taking it into his own hands. But that said, you know, I, I think if you take a step back, Andrew Cuomo, when he was the attorney general, and he was investigating um, a pay-to-play, uh, a major pay-to-play scam within the Comptroller's office under Alan Hevesy, during Alan Hevesy's time, that led to Hevesy going to prison, by the way, he said, you know, when I, I remember asking him at the time, you know, is there any legislation that you, you know, that you can propose here? And, and he said, you know, we have a lot of laws on the books at at some point, it comes down to you have to elect people who are following the laws. And, and basically what he was saying is you have to elect ethical people. You need people uh, who will follow the laws and who will do the right thing. And, and, you know, we've seen in many cases that has not been the case, that people have come in and tried to enrich themselves, enrich their families, and, and, and really, um, you know, what has it been, 30 people over the last 10 years have have left yeah. it because of some kind of ethical scandal. I mean, it's really uh, amazing. And with more and more people getting arrested, the fact that people are still doing it. Well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, do people get a sense that maybe there are people who come there ethical and get corrupted by the system that exists? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a big part of it. You know, someone explained to me uh, regarding Shelley Silver, that the uh, Assembly Speaker, not anymore. <laughs> that uh, yeah, right. For years, Silver, you know, Silver knew where the line was and never went over the line. You know, he went right up to the line, and and that was how he operated. And the difference now is uh, in this person, and, and I think it's an interesting point, was that Preet Bharara, the U.S. Attorney, has moved the line, and uh, so what was once considered standard practice and normal is now considered illegal. And we'll see what the courts say about it, of course, and whether, you know, Silver and Skellis are, are convicted or not. But it is an interesting point. You know, the business as usual is really what uh, Barrara is going after. And whether they're convicted or not, um, you can argue, certainly, if they're not convicted, that their reputations were soiled. But I think, you know, Barrara is making a point that we can't go on the way it is. So he's trying to stretch it out a little bit, and, and, and maybe we'll see whether he's you know right under the law or not, and that'll be up to the courts to decide. But at the very least, he sent the message that business as usual in Albany can no longer go on the way it was. Ken, I saw a story somewhere uh, that, that kind of hinted that there were an awful lot of people in the state legislature, both in the, in the Assembly and the Senate, who were kind of shaking in their boots about what they may have said to whom and under what circumstances in the wake of these most recent charges being brought against both Silver and Skellos. Is that the, is that the pulse up there now? Are people kind of you know looking at folks a little funny and afraid to say certain things in front of certain people? Absolutely. They're afraid to make jokes for fear that it could be misconstrued. They're afraid to say anything that could be picked up and all of a sudden they're named, you know, and they're showing up on a wiretap, or worse. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been wiretaps. There's mm-hmm. been, you know, we had, a, we had a lawmaker, an assemblyman, Nelson Castro, from the Bronx, who had been arrested and, and charged, I should say, indicted on um, 
God, I, I'm um, lying, uh, lying under oath. And uh, he um, turned state's evidence and wore a wire on the assembly floor. He was, he was basically wearing a wire and talking to his people, you know, talking to his colleagues. So now nobody knows who's wired. Nobody knows whose you know, phones are being tapped. Nobody knows who's being followed. So it really has created an uneasy relationship for lawmakers, lobbyists, really anyone in Albany. And these guys cannot wait to get home. They want this, this legislative session to not end fast enough for these guys. They just want to get back to their district. Ken, final question. Have any, have any of them, including the governor, come up with a viable way to tamp down this kind of corruption? Assuming that Preet Bharara moved the goalposts, what what kind of legislation do does anyone there think uh, can speak to these changed circumstances at this point? Or, or are they just worried about getting home? Well, I think they're worried about going home. I mean, John Flanagan, the new Senate Majority Leader, said he doesn't see another ethics package. They just did an ethics package. And, you know, they, they've focused a lot on disclosure in recent years, which is good. But, you know, there's other things. There's this LLC loophole that allowed, you know, basically uh, people and corporations, you know, uh, to create as many uh, subsidiaries as they can. Basically, they can give unlimited amounts. Uh, and we've seen what these, you know, mega uh, real estate developers doing this. They can skirt the laws and give unlimited amounts. Um, you know, people have talked about the need for campaign finance reform. People have talked about the need for other reforms. But again, you know, so, uh, do you ban outside income altogether since so much, you know, has been said about their jobs and whether there's conflicts? But then you look at the Skelos thing and he tried to get it, you know, he's basically accused of using his office for trying to help his son financially to enrich his son. So then the question is, how do you legislate against that? And, you know, I mean, it's illegal. And, and, you know, what kind of law would stop that? I mean, it's just, it's been so widespread. And like I said, so much of it's on the books. There's been sexual harassment. There's been bribery. You know, there's been, uh, there's been trying to enrich your family. I mean, uh, there's been taking advantage of the campaign finance system. There's been taking advantage of the public campaign finance system. So the, the, the types, the breadths of scandals has just been so broad that, you know, it would be hard to legislate it away. Ultimately, it comes down to the people you're electing. And I might add, it comes down to the public. And, and you know, it's easy to say that, but the reality is I think the people have become numb to this stuff, That last, so numb to this stuff, that last year, during the election, four, four uh, elected or uh, four uh, lawmakers one congressman and three in the state legislature were re-elected to their re-elected, position yeah. despite being under indictment. Mm. Well, you know, you, you had one congressman back in the day uh, that ended so I guess that hasn't happened yet. So I guess we ought to count our blessings, huh? Yeah, but I mean, look, you know, you had a congressman last year under indictment. He's now gone, but he got re-elected. He had three state lawmakers. At one point, until Skelos, you know, stepped down for a week there, you had the Senate Majority Leader and the Senate Deputy Majority Leader under indictment. You had Shelley Silver. Yeah, I mean, when is enough or not is enough? And when does the public just say, you know what, we've got to start focusing on this? Absolutely. Ken Lovett, always great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Be well. It's been fun. All right. Be well. Take care. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Ken Lovett, he is the Albany bureau chief of the New York Daily News. You hear what he said? Uh, 
there's really not a whole heck of a lot that anybody thinks can be done about it. They're all trying to cover their own behind. And let me explain something to you so you know, all right, because so, not a lot of people are going to tell you this. I had, I worked in Albany. Uh, well, I worked in New York, but I went back and forth to Albany many times, got to know how the legislature worked. Um, and I had a very wise man in Albany one time say to me, listen, do you know how much money comes through Albany during the course of the year? I'm not just talking about the budget. Now, the budget's only one component of this. All told, a trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T, not billion with a B. Is funneled through Albany on an annual basis. Maybe there's no way to guard against corruption when there's that much money involved and a relatively small number of people want to get their little piece of it. We're going to take a quick break. It's coming up on 26 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. we got 26 or so minutes left, and we're going to come back and make best use of all of them. It's the Mark Riley Show on the Progressive Radio Network. Twenty-five minutes before the hour of seven o'clock, it's the Mark Riley Show. Our number is eight seven seven eight seven four four eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. You can give me a call, whatever may be on your mind. We can certainly talk about it here. A lot of things on my mind. Uh, it's been a busy week, a couple of weeks, and I, my apologies for not being here last week. Something came up, but. Uh, just so many things are happening in our world, and on a lot of different levels, too. I'm not going to get into the whole, quote, deflate gate thing, uh, you know, with the New England Patriots and losing draft choices and Tom Brady getting, getting suspended for four games, except to ask the following question. Why are there so many different, except here in New York, of course, that end up getting the name Gate attached to them. There's Deflate Gate. There's Spy Gate. There's Bridge Gate. There's, you know, all of these different situations, and suddenly they become something Gate. Now, I know where it goes back to. It goes back to the Watergate scandals of the 1970s. But that was like 40-something years ago already. And you would have thought they'd have come up with another term. But every time something happens to George Washington, and, and it, it bears no resemblance whatsoever to whatever the actual problem is. 
Deflate gate? Spy gate? Bridge gate? What does what gate got to do with it? I'm just asking. 888 is our number. Now, I'm not a particularly tech-savvy person. I'm just not. Uh, but for some reason, this whole thing about Verizon and AOL uh, fascinates me. Now, I don't even use AOL. I, I use, happen to use Gmail for my email and stuff. And from what, you know, my wife is a lot more tech-savvy than I am. And she said to me, and she's no kid. But she said to me that for a lot of people, AOL for email is kind of like a very 90s, early turn of the century kind of thing. And that AOL has has kind of been perceived as behind the times on a lot of uh, on a lot of levels. Now, Verizon is buying AOL for four point four billion dollars, a lot of money. I'm glad to hear that Verizon has that much to throw around. Now, I get Verizon files, and, you know, I, I have uh, Internet, phone, and, and, you know, the bundle, the triple bundle, whatever they call it. And, you know, they sent me this letter the other day because my, my two-year contract is going to expire in September, and they say you can extend it for, like, 154 bucks a month. And I'm thinking, 154 bucks a month? I see him on TV advertising this whole thing where you can get, you can choose the channels you want for like 75 bucks a month, along with internet and uh, phone. And I'm thinking, I said to my wife, like, why would we pay $154 a month uh, for something that we could get for 75 and then I realized when I went to their website, like you got to dig through all of this stuff to try and figure out exactly what you get. How many channels can you choose for your 75 bucks a month? And, and it wasn't really on the website. So I'm going to have to call them and figure out, you know, the, the whys and wherefores of this. But be that as it may, Verizon has now become the eggplant that ate Chicago, I guess. Uh, and part of this has to do with the fact that, uh, so many people are getting so much information, not through their big computers, which I still really enjoy, uh, not even through iPads, but through their phones. So much stuff is going on through their phones. And, you know, I can remember I, I had a meeting one time. This had to be five, six years ago. Uh, when Black, well, Actually, further back than that, it was when Blackberries first came out. And I had a meeting with uh, a very prominent guy who's a good friend of mine who was uh, – we're just going to meet to talk. We're going to have lunch. And he whips out this blackberry and he says, man, this is my life. I, you know, this is how I conduct business now. Da, 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 da. I'm thinking to myself, well, what's, what's wrong with picking up the phone? What's wrong with doing this and that and the other? And suddenly I realized that uh, times have changed. And now in my dotage, I realize that times have truly changed. We'll see whether this AOL Verizon thing actually works out for the consumer. Because sometimes these mergers, consumers are the last people that actually end up benefiting. I think we have uh, Nasheed from New York is on the line. Nasheed, good yeah. evening. How you doing? Okay, how you doing? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't have the TV or anything, but I was at the laundromat and 
the words they use about um, the uh, you know the headlines for the the, the, the football player uh, 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 deflating the ball. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. As a kid, if you played basketball or football, you could tell if that ball was 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 you you bounced the boys. Hey man, we we'll just go get the other ball. <laughs> you're just like but that. But so you know, you're right all... about that, man. And I, you know what it was though. I got to be honest with you. As far as basketball was concerned, most people liked the basketball at a certain at a certain inflation. Nobody really quibbled about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. As long yeah, as you I mean, know, as, if it bounced properly. Uh, and if you deflated a basketball, people knew. Yeah, I mean, even, even football. Like, all these guys making all this money. You mean to tell me the referee and all this? You mean you couldn't tell? You couldn't tell from the giddy up that 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 was a deflated ball? Come on, something, something, something's crazy here. You well, know, you know what? I, it is on the sheet. Here's my thing. How do you let some people that work for the teams handle the balls in the first place? How do you let them do that? Why don't you just have the officials or somebody from the NFL take the balls from the time they get to the stadium till they time till the time they get below center, so that nobody from either team has the ability to do this? Well, I, you know, I, I, but you know, the, the the other thing is that the immorality of the headlines on on the two major papers. I, well, I they're both, they're they're look, they're both in the tank for the Giants and the Jets. They're getting off on this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, it's just the, the headlines. Uh, that, that's, 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 well, you know, uh, that's something you say, you say out in the street. I mean, you know, <laughs> this, this is where we're, we've come. And then another thing uh, on sports. I see all these guys on the, uh, I'm, I'm doing some work, and they, the people out there, they won't turn this stuff off. All this strategy about football, basketball, all this. Well, why aren't these same guys doing some strategy about the social situation that we are dealing with? Well, because they're sports broadcasters. They're not smart enough to do that. Trust me. If they're smart enough to sit down there and get all this information, they can, they can do <laughs> the same thing on, on, on the other thing, on the, on the social situation that we're dealing with. Well, see, here's the thing, now, see, the social situation that we're dealing with is so interconnected. Let me explain something to you. You heard about this tragic derailment in Philly, right? Oh, yeah. That's a, that, you said it. You said it. I don't know. That's, a, that, that, that's a, the infrastructure. We know that. I live right I, I can go. I'm right, and we can go right down to Harmon, New York, where they got the. I'm, we're, I'm 10 minutes away from that. We see, yeah. we see all that, but they're taking all that property on the river, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're not work, They're not putting none of that into the people. We got to from from our area. We got to spend spend twenty dollars, over twenty dollars for a round trip to New York City. To New York City. Now, what does infrastructure? We're not even miles What's the away. first thing that it does? It creates jobs. These tracks don't put themselves uh, in place. You got to have people to do that work. Building that tunnel that Christie killed—that's that creates jobs, and they sit there and act as though they don't. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Look, a lot of Americans are not doing those jobs. Well, a lot I of the jobs can, aren't being done. Right. No, I can tell you, master mechanics or whatever they do, if they're carpenters or whatever. They're not working like they used to work because they bring in a whole lot of people from other places. 
and there, there's, there's a whole lot of cutthroat thing going on. Oh, and I know. Our, I, know. I, I, our, no, I asked one time when they were doing, I used to come over the George Washington Bridge while they were doing work on the bridge, right? Now, this is trivial, but it still bothered me. I would see these trucks on the bridge while these guys were out doing the work. I think they were painting or something. All of those right. trucks came from Pennsylvania. Right. All of them. I mean, we, I mean, look, we got we got we got hidden cartels out here. Oh, I know. See, I, know. I mean, let's get. We got we got to get. I mean, we got and and see the the sixties when you saw when you was on one hundred twenty fifth Street and you was hearing these people uh, talking about uh, all these places in South America, wherever it was, Cuba, this, that, and the other. It was about uh, total liberation. These people don't even know about their own countries. Are you talking about Charlie Kenyatta and them, huh? Huh? You talking about Charles Kenyatta and them on 125th Street? Even before that, I used to be down where Malcolm used to be. Malcolm would be reading Michelle's bookstore. All This is what we're talking That was a whole nother ball game. Now, if you talk to a South American or someone, you know probably more about what's going on in his country than he knows. All he's worried about is getting this dollar. That, that's, that's, all, what, yeah, that's what we're across the board. Across the board. Across the board. Not just South Americans. Everywhere. They all, they all hear about a dollar. And if they can get it a Hyundai or a Honda, they've made it. But not in the sheet. Here's what you're talking about. The system that supports that is a dirty business, man. It's dirty business. And if you mess with it, you're going to get dirty. You understand what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, it's as simple I, as that, I, man. This is some high-stake okay. stuff. Like I said, a trillion dollars runs through Albany every year. Do you know what some people will do to get a piece of a trillion dollars? Yeah, look, but, you know, let's, let, you remember when, when uh, you was on LIB, right? Yes, you sir. Were, I think with your brother or well, I don't know. But anyway, why did they knock that out? Because it wasn't that everybody agreed with everything you you uh, 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 you all were saying, but it was a dialogue, and they didn't want that dialogue. They don't want us to have yeah, a I gotta, dialogue. I got to leave they it there, but there was a lot of reasons for that, and I could yeah, I know, I know, I, I know show. that, but I think the, ba- the basic reason, the basic, to me, is the basic reason, when you look, at, look back, I could turn on the radio anytime, in the afternoon, whatever when you was on, and your brother, and the other, and we, you, there was a dialogue. Yeah. There was a dialogue. But now that in the African-American community, there's no dialogue. Now, she, you know, the re- you want me to tell you the short reason why that's true? Because people started to realize how many black folks were listening to the dialogue yeah. and participating in the dialogue. And once they elected a black mayor, that was the beginning of the end. Think about it. Listen, I got to run. But thanks so okay, much for cool, calling. Right. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your, uh, you. what's the name? Good. Have a good one. Hi, Queens. Harriet, how are you? Hey, can you hear me? I can, can hear you, you hear fine. Me? How you doing? I'm doing okay. Last week, I listen and I hear it's a rerun. And yeah. oh my goodness. And then I found out why. When I watched uh, Errol Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, that was just like a one-shot thing. They asked me to do it at the last minute, so I did. Well, I'm so glad you did a very good job. Now, I wanted to disagree with everything, just about everything Ken Lovett said. 
And I think if they're going to investigate somebody, it should be Preparara. Why? For being an overly zealous person who wants to change things. And if he's listening, I got one word, I got one sentence for him. Preparara, nobody elected you. No, nobody elected him, but his job right. is to uphold the law. And if, if, if it turns out that people are, in his judgment, running afoul of the law, what is he supposed to do, Harry? He can't overlook but that. But he wants people to change the law. He wants them to change the law. He doesn't like the idea of three men in a room. This is not his call. No, but if it turns out that Dean Skelos and Shelley Silver broke the law, then it's his job um, to make them pay. And if it turns out that they didn't, the well, same they, they're innocent until proven guilty, just like anybody well, look else. What happened with Joe Bruno? Yeah, well, yeah, same I, thing with him. The, see, Joe Bruno was a unique situation, Harriet, because they were there were questions about the law that was used to convict him in the first place. Remember, Bruno wasn't prosecuted by Pre Barrara. Yeah, he was prosecuted by somebody else, but still. He was he prosecuted by a U.S. attorney zealous. upstate New York. He is overly zealous. One other thing, I wanted to agree with you about the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, which we know nothing about. True. It's true. Um, and we should. We should know a um, lot more about yeah. it. My congresswoman was in the neighborhood, Grace Meng, and oh, I yeah. asked her, what do you think of it? She said, well, I don't know what's in it. So I can't it's a, it's be it unless I know what's in it. That's, now, you know, it, it hasn't gotten to the House. It got stymied in the Senate. But as far yes, as I'm concerned, good. Harriet, it should get stymied in the Senate. Bar Barack good. Obama made a bad call on the Trans-Pacific yes. Partnership. Uh-huh. Now, you want Elizabeth Warren to run. Well, I mean, look, we got Bernie Sanders, and, and having spoken to Bernie Sanders on numerous occasions, uh, Bernie's just as good. You know In some ways, for, better. Right? You know who I'm for. No, who? Hillary. Oh, you're for Hillary. Okay. Well, I mean, look. I was for here's Hillary the thing about Bernie. all along. Uh, here's the thing about Bernie. Bernie yeah. is has announced he's going to run. He says he's not going to attack Hillary. He will articulate differences between him, his positions on issues and hers. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's the way gentlemanly politics or civil, I shouldn't say gentlemanly because that leaves out women, uh, yeah. civil politics should be done. And if he's, right. you know, he's got every right to run and, and we'll see what happens. And she shouldn't have a coronation without any debates because then how's she going to fare with Republicans? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, you know, Bernie says he's in it to win it. Um, I think if everybody who thinks they're a progressive voted for him, it'd be, it'd be a, might, uh, a much closer race between him and Hillary in certain parts of this country uh, than most people might think. But we'll see what happens. It's still early. There may be other Don't people. Don't you just Martin love Malcolm that Vermont accent? From. Huh? Don't you just love that Vermont accent? Oh, yeah. The Vermont accent from the from the waterfront in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Harry, you got to run, but thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we got a couple other stories I want to get to here. Uh, and this was something that did come up last week when I was on New York One. 
Uh, Bill de Blasio has been out beating the hustings to promote a progressive agenda. And, I mean, look, that's cool. But according, you know, if you look at some people in the media and some of the writings in the media, you would think de Blasio was fiddling while New York City burned. There have been a couple of incidents. Now, mind you, he began a two-day, count them, two-day trip to Washington. And the newspaper says, well, gun, while he was doing that, gunslinging criminals went and had a field day, brazenly robbing a midtown watch shop and sparking a Wild West-type shootout in Brooklyn. Does somebody want to realistically say that if Bill de Blasio had been in New York, none of this would have happened? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's a little crazy. And then, of course, they talk about his approval rating dropping and da 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 They don't say that his approval rating is still higher than his disapproval rating. But, hey, you know, uh, and they say his national ambitions are getting in the way of his work at City Hall. He's still not at, not at Christie level, uh, a guy who's vacated an entire state to run for president. De Blasio's not running for anything. And he's not, you know, taking, like, extended uh, time off to do this. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have a particular problem with it. I do have a problem with starting a push for progressivism in Washington. I would have gone to other places. I'd have gone to San Francisco or Madison or Austin or some other places where there's already a progressive base and try and expand it from there. And we see some of the issues of late. Uh, because I, you know, I'm also one of the people, not to get off on a tangent here, I'm one of the people who believes that crime and issues of crime ought to be on the progressive agenda. Uh, and, and not just for spotty things or, or saying, well, we need body cameras, we need this, that, or the other. We really need to hammer out a progressive agenda for crime and policing. And not one that is reactive to tragedies like Eric Garner or Michael Brown or Freddie Gray, but one that is forged out of a collective knowledge of how policing works and how policing can work better. All right. But this de Blasio stuff, they're just, you know, they're grabbing at straws here, as far as I'm concerned. Now, again, if he's not careful, uh, you know, some of this stuff could come back to haunt him, but probably not. Speaking across the river, where Chris Christie's presidential ambitions are sinking to the bottom of the Hudson, it appears, uh, latest story, which came out last week, uh, records obtained by New Jersey Watchdog showed that Chris Christie spent more than $360,000 of his state allowance during his first five years in office, with 80% of that going toward food, drinks, and desserts. <laughs> I would make a joke, but no, I'm not going to. He receives an annual allowance of $95,000. So he had a little bit over, and nothing that he did apparently was illegal. However, in 2010 and 2011, while attending NFL games at MetLife Stadium, Giants and Jets, he spent a total of $83,000 on 58 occasions on concessions at the events. Uh, and I was talking uh, actually yesterday with Charlie Style from The Record about this. Uh, and Charlie is a, a brilliant, brilliant columnist, one of the finest in the tri-state area. If you've never had a chance to read his work, and uh, it, 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 I think Charlie described it as Christie's ambitions to be a grandee. <laughs> you know, a guy who, if he could get away with it, would be uh, uh, brought in on one of those things with four guys attending him and keeping, you know, having his throne on their shoulders or something. Uh, it's, it's, it's. It's gluttony is what it is. 
And it's really not in keeping with the Republican, the alleged Republican image of, you know, trying to rein in spending, as it were. Uh, 24 members of the Ohio House of Representatives, all Republicans, have co-sponsored a bill that would require many Ohio residents to pay an actual poll tax in order to vote. God, you know, these people never, never quit. Now, poll taxes are forbidden by the Constitution. Under this legislation, many voters would have to pay a fee in order to obtain an ID card that they would need to vote, essentially imposing a tax on the right to vote. Think about it, folks. They'll take this away. They will take it away. Uh, the House is expired. As a matter of fact, they probably already did this today. Uh, they're expected to approve a, a bill uh, or to vote on a bill that would ban most abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. A revised version of the measure that Republican leaders pulled in January quite abruptly uh, amid objections from some of their own members. This new legislation... And understand what, what this is. This slightly loosens the original requirements for women who seek abortion after becoming pregnant through rape or incest. Slightly loosen and make it easier to sue a non-compliant abortion provider. The bill is expected to, uh, to pass. It was forged by Representative Trent Franks, Republican of Arizona. Uh, and by the way, the original version was called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Uh, this, this is, you want to talk about messing with a woman's right to choose. This is messing with a woman's right to choose. Before we go, we do have our very brief to the ridiculous segment. Uh, we mentioned before that there was a guy uh, who hated Obamacare until he got sick. And then he was like, I, where's my Obamacare? I deserve my Obamacare. Well, there's another one now, as it turns out. The first one was Sheriff Richard Mack. He had a GoFundMe page. Uh, to try and get money uh, to pay for his uh, health care bill without using Obamacare, apparently. Well, now there's another guy, uh, and, and this, you know, these guys are some very, very brainless people. Uh, Louis Lang and his wife. Uh, Louis Lang has diabetes, been inconsistent in his efforts to control it, uh, but he always considered himself healthy enough and self-sufficient enough not to need health insurance. So he didn't get it. Now he's really sick. And he wants to know, where's the help? Well, that's where the help would have been if you'd have signed up for health care, homeboy. Time for us to go. My thanks to Jason Taubenfeld. Stay tuned for all the great programming right here at the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Riley for the Mark Riley Show. I bid you have a great rest of the evening and a better week ahead. <laughs> 